everyone, and welcome to the She Wolf podcast. It's been reinvigorated, um, at least for the time being. My energy for these things tends to wax and wane, so I felt very called to do a series on neurodivergence because, as many of you who follow me know, I am autistic and I have ADHD. And these are things that I recently learned about myself in 2021. So it's really only been a year since my diagnosis or both of these things. It's been incredibly illuminating. And um, I don't always have the bandwidth for podcasts and for using my voice in general. Because again, as a neurodivergent person, This is quite common, Um, speaking aloud and socializing or even anything that resembles socializing, uh, which in my case is just using my using my voice box exhausts me and taxes me greatly. So it's been a wonderful, if not kind of intense thing to learn about myself, um, which makes a lot of sense as to why previous podcast efforts were always sort of in fits and starts. But uh, nevertheless, I really want to uh, spend some time engaging with you like this because um, it's just a wonderful way to share and it goes along perfectly with the uh, guidebook that I'm going to be releasing in a little while um, about late diagnosed neurodivergence and how to navigate it. Um, I'm going to be shortening late diagnosed neurodivergence into LDNs um, during this podcast, just FYI, because it is just a way easier way to say it, because I'm probably going to be saying it often. But uh, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to do a series on uh, what it's like to be autistic, um, but more specifically, what it's like to realize and learn that you're autistic late in life because I feel like I'm in a unique position and many other LDNs are in a unique position to tell you what it's like to exist in the mindset of thinking that you're a neurotypical person with an able body to having that entire script flipped to oh, I'm actually a neurodivergent disabled person. Now, just as a little um, parentheses around disabled, not every autistic person or neurodivergent person is going to identify with the notion of being disabled. Um, I do simply because of the fact that the world was built for able-bodied neurotypical people. And by virtue of that alone, I'm disabled because um, the world wasn't built for my neurotype. It wasn't built for my sensory issues and my sensitivities, just like it wasn't built for any other neurodivergence sensitivities or sensory issues or any other uh, unique way of existing in the world. There is a very fixed notion of what is an okay way to exist in the world. It's all very built around capitalist pressure and making more, 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 um, which is a rant for another time. But um, the point being that 
disabled is, it's not just a concept at all. It's an actual, it's an actual issue. Um, but for some neurodivergent people, um, I think it is a little bit more of a concept. Like if they feel that they can um, go through their day and go through society in a way that doesn't affect them too badly, then maybe they don't necessarily identify with being um, disabled. Maybe it's for them, it's a bit more of a concept. But for people like me and many other NDs, we do um, we do identify with being disabled. So with that explanation out of the way, um, I feel like again I have a I have a unique perspective because for 37 years I felt that I was a neurotypical person. I walked through the world with my disability and my neurotype being invisible to mostly everyone because I present pretty pretty quote-unquote normally if you will you know I'm white I don't have any visible disabilities Um, you know I am not in a wheelchair I'm upright I don't have any physical issues whatsoever I don't have speech impediments I don't have any cognitive disabilities that would have stood out to the point where it was like, okay, there's something definitely going on here, even though I do actually have learning disabilities that have been present throughout my life. Um, But yeah, for these reasons, I walked through the world with my autism and my ADHD being unrecognized. And so I experienced the world in a certain way, and it wasn't great. Um, I accumulated a whole lot of inappropriate and hurtful labels throughout my life, which is something that fellow autistic Sarah Gibbs uh, talks about in her book Drama Queen that I read pretty much right away after getting my diagnosis. Um, She talks a lot about how she accumulated negative labels um, that people assigned to her, like, you know, obviously dramatic, as was the title, um, lazy, self-centered. I also had those. I also had many others, like, I don't know incapable of different things, um, not going to really go anywhere in her life, a mooch, um, all sorts of things that just, just really, really hurt. Um, there's no real point in digging up all of the labels. There were many. Um, and a lot of us LDNs have that assigned to us. And even people who have, uh, diagnosed, um, neurodivergence early on in life will probably accumulate labels as well because neurotypical ableist society is incredibly unforgiving towards any other way of being. But the fact is that, you know, these these labels accumulated, um, but they were a part of my sense of self. They were a part of my identity and I worked really, really hard to rally against them 
and to steer my ship in the opposite direction of the ways that people were framing me and to prove them wrong. And I did. I very much did. The success that I've had over the last four or five years, I think, has really proved a lot of people wrong. But it's been at a huge cost to me because I am neurodivergent and I need to do things a certain way at a certain pace for the sake of my health, Um, which is really what led me to uh, suspecting that I was on the spectrum and obtaining my diagnosis. But that's a little bit of a rant. My point is that I am fortunate and unfortunate enough to have a perspective of somebody who thought she was able-bodied and neurotypical and has had the script entirely flipped to having some other very different notion of herself. And I want to approach this podcast series with the information from both angles um, because there's so much to be impacted there and there's so much illumination and there's so much there's so many wow moments it's it's absolutely incredible but there's also so much grief and so much rage and so much shadow that it's important to not just deny the life that came before the diagnosis and just as an aside here I want to make sure that my listeners understand that anytime I say diagnosis I'm also including self-diagnosis in that because I personally feel that it is incredibly valid there are so many reasons why a neurodivergent person um, may not, A, be able to receive a formal diagnosis. Um, it is very, very expensive and difficult to get. But also why uh, an ND may not want to get a formal diagnosis uh, for the safe of, sake of their own protection and safety in order to um, sort of have that part of their identity remain anonymous maybe if they're in in an abusive situation or um, they don't want to have that disclosure in the workplace, et cetera. There's so many reasons why being self-diagnosed is valid. I think a lot of people don't make the proper distinction between self-diagnosis for neurotype to be valid as opposed to self-diagnosis for an illness, for example. It is so much more dangerous Um, to self-diagnose an illness based on Google searches as it is to really, really, really heavily suspect that you are on the spectrum of being autistic or ADHD based upon a whole host of symptoms. Now, that's not to say that um, you should diagnose yourself based upon a meme that you see on Instagram or something like that, you really need to do a deep dive and you really need to be honest with yourself. Um, And there are some online tests out there that you can do, um, which are pretty in-depth, that do not diagnose you, but they will say, okay, 
you know, above this score, autism is likely, um, you might want to speak to somebody about it, etc. Um, you'll definitely want to do more of a deep dive than just recognizing yourself in a couple of memes because a lot of us have very similar experiences to one another, whether we are neurotypical or neurodivergent. Um, that is not whatsoever to say that, quote unquote, everyone is a little autistic because that is very dismissive and completely untrue. Um, it is more the case uh, is that we share some experiences, but the autistic experience has a whole host of characteristics and symptoms, if you will, that are incredibly different from neurotypicals and do vary from autistic person to autistic person. That is why it is called a spectrum. That's why it's not called a line um, where people have varying degrees of the same exact experiences, but um, we are very similar. A lot of us autistics, like even if we do have different sensory issues, for example, all of us will probably have sensory issues. Even if we have um, learning disabilities, they'll be different, but they'll still be there. Um, if, even if we have different um, tolerances for socializing and for masking, generally speaking, we're all masking, et cetera, et cetera, right? So there are things that are hallmark characteristics of being autistic and the more you deep dive into that the more you can probably get a sense of yourself in it and in my opinion that is why self-diagnosis is valid um, including obviously the aforementioned reasons why you might not want the world to know about it so that's my that's my little sidebar on that by the way, um, my cat, Smoo, <laughs> has just joined the podcast, so you can probably hear him purring a little bit. He might, he seems like he kind of wants to leave, so he might not be with us long. But in this episode, I want to, I want to get into the imposter syndrome that surrounds LDNs and why it is that we feel this way and why it is that it is so difficult to um, embrace this new identity when it comes through and this may not be the case for every LDN um, maybe it's just like you know a, a total shower of uh, illumination that just feels absolutely right no matter what but I think for the majority of us we experience not only a period of disillusionment but period of really not knowing where our footing is with ourselves. And this is because our identities have completely done an overhaul pretty much overnight. And that is an incredibly, incredibly intense experience. I can't put it into words. It is simultaneously beautiful and horrifying. Um, there are so many, there are so many things that come up. Um, which I will talk about in other episodes, such as the grief and the rage and the feeling of loss and the loss that may arise um, post-diagnosis of losing people 
that you thought were going to be close with you for the rest of your life because you've come to this self-realization and they can't they can't follow you there um there's so many things but being feeling like an imposter is is huge um to this day even though it has been almost a year since my uh my self-diagnosis and then I received a formal diagnosis in the in the summer um it's been a year so it's been it's been a decent amount of time um I felt like I wasn't really able to speak on it very much if until until now and I feel like the the fact that I'm able to speak about it now really is a testament to how integrated the entire experience is and yet all the same I still feel like an imposter sometimes I still feel like no I'm making this up no there's no way I could actually be autistic I'm not autistic enough etc 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 and this very much arises from the fact that for 37 years I thought that I was a certain way I thought that I was a defective, neurotypical person. Now, that's not to say I felt like I was defective in every single aspect of life, but there were certain things that I couldn't do that other people could do fairly easily or super easily that presented me with challenges over and over and over and over again. And those things had to do with socializing, feeling like I fit in somewhere, feeling like I wasn't always ostracized or I wasn't trying to find my people all the time and never finding my people, having a difficult time communicating myself with others. Like, (laughs) I look back at a letter that I wrote, um, one of my first partners romantic partners and it made no sense (laughs) it made no sense like he ended up telling me after he read it he was like I think the sentiment was good but it literally made no sense and it was like I was trying to squeeze something out of me that was very real and I could probably make sense of now but when I was young I I feel like I couldn't really communicate myself very effectively and um, when I did, it was extremely taxing. And I, thankfully, in a way, was an only child. Um, so I didn't have to come home and spend my evenings socializing after school. I could just kind of retreat and decompress and unwind. And I would often have to do that for the majority of the evening. Um, one of the things that sorry about that noise somebody's making a fence nearby there's only so much I can control about sound um my parents told me that you know a lot of the problems that I would come home with from school would be about other people and the ways that I didn't understand them the ways that they didn't understand me and as time progressed into high school that turned into massive burnout massive burnout that I couldn't do anything about. And the other issues that I couldn't seem to quote unquote get past were certain things like learning disabilities with math and science. 
always such a weak point. Um, and then when I was an adult, uh, holding down a quote-unquote regular job, you know, as opposed to what I do now, which is super strange and unique and weird, but is it works for me. Um, I tried on all kinds of different hats, and for the life of me, I could never do it. I, the anxiety that I experienced when I was in a loud, overstimulating, bright, um, and demanding work environment, socially and just in terms of learning, in terms of money, and aka math, um, I couldn't do it. And I berated myself. I berated myself for not being able to do it. I was so mad at myself. Everyone around me was so mad at me for not being able to do it. Um, They thought that I was just making excuses. They thought that I was just creating problems where there were none. Um, Everything kind of got reduced down to, oh, she's just anxious. Oh, she's just anxious, you know? And so I thought that this anxiety that I had was this incredible monster that had overtaken my life um, for really no no reason at all. <laughs> you know, no good reason at all. Um, and because this quote-unquote anxiety didn't have proper roots in anything, um, which I will possibly go into in depth some other time, but it did have roots. Obviously, it had roots in autism, it had roots in trauma, but I was incapable of knowing the former, and the latter was something that I was being gaslit about left, right, and center. Um, So I didn't believe that my anxiety was valid, even though it was there. And it never improved, no matter what I did. Now, that's something that should improve, um, which I now understand as someone who's neurodivergent, it doesn't. Um, This is partially why um, therapies like CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, does not work for autistic people for the most part. It is because... um, our sensory issues are just not going to go away. What we do is we mask them. And when we mask them, we appear to be more quote unquote normal and that our senses are not having this onslaught. Um, But the masking is exhausting and it really is only for the sake of making everybody else comfortable. And for obviously us getting through the day in a neurotypically built world. Um, but the anxiety that stems from sensory issues isn't just something that we can do away with. It isn't something that necessarily diminishes because the sensory issues don't diminish. So things like exposure therapy, um, for example, aren't necessarily going to be viable options for autistics because, you know, when it comes to certain things, we may be able to dip our toes in and... Um, slowly over time get our feet wet etc and our legs but when it comes to other things especially if they come with um, a generous amount of demand that's not necessarily going to change you know like 
an autistic person working in a bar, for example, or working in any other sort of busy retail environment, like there's a lot of pressure to have a certain script, say certain things, interact in certain ways, understand body language, maintain eye contact, have a certain level of professionalism, um, deal with the sensory onslaught and be good with handling money, be good with, with numbers. Obviously, some autistic people are good with numbers, but others, again, like myself, are not. So there are certain things that you just can't, quote unquote, get over. And yet, because I thought I was a neurotypical person, I thought I just needed to get over it. And, you know, I had this. And obviously, you know, I had the demand just like everybody else has um, on them as an adult, like make fucking money make ends meet. You have to. You can't starve. You can't necessarily rely on other people. So I wanted to make it work. I wanted something to stick. But time and again, I would find myself in extreme overwhelm and extreme burnout, and I just couldn't do it. So there was this, there were these issues that continued on and on and on and on throughout my life that had absolutely no context for, but I thought were just parts of me that were wrong. And certainly when you have the rest of the world basically echoing those statements, either in subliminal, ableist ways, um, or very direct and angry ways, then you're going to start to believe it. Just anybody being bullied or put down um, in a long-term sense is going to internalize the things that they're being bullied about. It's just what happens. Um, But the unfortunate thing for undiagnosed autistic people is that um, it's just so common and it's so subtle in a lot of cases. It's, for me, it was. kind of something that I'm learning about myself is just this has just been part of my journey as a person you know like there's never been anything so glaringly obvious in any facet of what I've gone through um and certainly not with my health journey either as many of you know I've been going through a health journey a mystery chronic illness and I've been treated the same way by doctors as I have by peers, family, society at large, uh, co-workers, etc. throughout the years about, about my autism. It's just like it's not really there enough, right? And so you suffer privately and you exist in this almost hermetically sealed <laughs> box of suffering Um, where it's not obvious enough, it's not present enough, you know, like you're not in a wheelchair, you aren't, you know, you you can fed for yourself, you know, like you don't need somebody to take care of you constantly, etc. Like these things, this is why we exist in a spectrum, but this is why parts of the spectrum, it seems, are completely invisible to society. And moreover, not just invisible um, inherently, but essentially like told that 
we should be invisible and that we should just suck it up because there isn't actually anything quote-unquote wrong with us and then obviously that brings up the idea like is there actually anything wrong with autism no there is not not at all but when our neurotype and the inherent challenges of that neurotype in a neurotypical society are causing problems, then yeah, there is something that needs to be dealt with there because otherwise harm is just going to come to that neurodivergent person over time. And that is what does happen to so many of us. Autistic people are so much more likely, I can't remember, again, because of numbers, the exact um, percentage, but we are so much more likely to get some sort of illness. It doesn't necessarily have to be chronic, but it could just be like heart disease, stroke, things like that, cancer, than the neurotypical population. And we are so much more likely to commit suicide. And it is because we don't feel at ease in this world. And it is because a lot of us who have accumulated lots of trauma and negative labels about ourselves that have created this difficult space for us to exist in our bodies. And then to try try to tie this all back to my main point, we also feel like we're imposters. Um, feel like we we feel like we're imposters before we get our diagnosis because we're like, <laughs> why do we have these problems and we don't understand what these problems are and like how to fix them? And then when we receive our diagnosis, we um, often feel like imposters because uh, there's no. There's no way that we could actually fit in somewhere. We could actually belong somewhere because we've never really belonged anywhere. And so there's this constant pulsating feeling of disquiet inside of the self that um, rallies against feeling settled in any direction. Now, Imposter syndrome, for those who may not be aware, is essentially a state of mind that um, it's basically where you are something. Let's say you are a musician or something like that. And you've been playing music for some time and you're good at it, or maybe you're getting good at it. And you receive some accolades for something that you've done and you feel like there's no way that I could deserve this. There's no way that this could be me. Like, no, no, no. Like I'm not good enough for this. Um, or if you are starting a new job and you've been in the role, um, in a different way at different jobs, um, let's say you are, a landscaper and you've been doing that for a really long time but you've only been doing it at a certain level and then you get a supervisor or manager job 
when you're managing a bunch of people, you may feel like you have imposter syndrome because you're like, well, how, how could I be capable enough of being at this level? Um, even though you do have the know-how, you do have the wherewithal. And autistic people, ADHD people, we do experience imposter syndrome. And it's so much, in my experience at least, it's so much more intense than any other imposter syndrome I've ever felt. Again, because it's rooted in like an entire life of thinking about yourself a certain way and then suddenly having to shift the narrative into thinking about yourself some other way. And there's so many facets to it. There's, you know, the way that you sleep, the way that you eat, the way that you brush your teeth, the way that you wash your hair, the way that you drive, the way that you cook, the way that you speak to people, the way that you interact with animals, the places you want to go on trips or on walks, the jobs that you've chosen or not chosen, the types of people that you choose or don't choose, the kinds of arguments that you've had, this, the kinds of conflicts that you may have had with your family. Like, There's so many parts to understanding yourself and re-understanding yourself as an autistic person, as a neurodivergent person, that go into this process and it just creates such a swirl (laughs) of like, do I really belong here? Is this really mine? Like, can I really claim this identity? You know, like, does it belong to me? Do I deserve it even? Um, And it's so hard to wrestle with yourself about that. Um, It's so hard to finally have what you feel like is the proper illumination and the proper answers to all of the riddles of your life, but then feel like they don't, those don't belong to you either and that you are just reaching way too much for clarity that you're never going to actually have and that it's only only that certain subset of people is allowed to have that clarity and it's because they're truly autistic quote-unquote or they're like very autistic or whatever it is that you're telling yourself in your mind now gratefully there are so many beautiful wonderful educators out there who are on the spectrum Um, a lot of them are so young it's so it's so great to see this in my opinion, um, I follow a lot of them on Instagram and they're just, they're just so many incredible, like shining bright lights out there, beacons of light that are, um, just lighting the way for a lot of people who need it. And gratefully, you know, you can see yourself in them, right? It's like they're putting themselves out there to smash the ideas about autism that are super antiquated and lead us more to feeling like imposters and lead us to not get our diagnosis or self-diagnose because we feel like, again, we're not like autistic enough or something. Um, And it's wonderful to see it. And I highly recommend that if you are sort of on the fence about yourself, and are, you know, experiencing these levels of 
um, imposter syndrome and feeling like you don't necessarily belong anywhere, I highly recommend um, viewing, consuming, if you will, some of this content. Um, I will I will leave their handles below uh, the audio here because autism, again, you know, there, there are some things that are just hallmarks, but it's going to be, the hallmarks are going to be different for everyone and there's going to be varying degrees and there's, it's going to present in different ways. And this means that there are a lot of people who are quote unquote hiding in plain sight, who don't look autistic, quote unquote, who don't present as autistic, who your whole life knowing them, now that you know they're autistic, you might be like, oh yeah, (laughs) there was always something that I couldn't put my finger on about you, you know, but like it would have been all the same if you had never put your finger on that, right? Like these are the people that are like myself and these creators that the uniqueness of our autism is what really sets us apart um, and really makes it difficult to understand what autism is like if you were to write out a list of five things like you just you just couldn't do it so I suppose at the end of the day when it comes to imposter syndrome um, in regards to being ND all I can really say is that if you're experiencing it acknowledge it Acknowledge that you're experiencing it and let it be there because it isn't, it doesn't really have to be a threat. There are times, as I mentioned, where I feel like there's no fucking way I could be autistic and that, and then I realize whose voice is that in my head? And it's usually someone in my family or somebody that I've come into contact with at some point in my life who gaslit me or made me feel um, like I couldn't be me. I I couldn't be saying what I'm, I couldn't be, whatever I was saying to be true couldn't be true, basically, you know? And these are the people who live in your head that have undermined you and have gaslit you possibly and have not let you be what you are and they have doubted you and they might need they might even be kind of faceless at at this point you know or might be kind of like a blend of people's faces (laughs) it might not just be like your dad or your sister or your co-worker from 2006 or your first boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever like it could be a blend of all these people it's kind of created this voice in your mind that's saying, no, no, you don't belong here. You're making it up. You're faking it. You're lying, etc. Let that voice be there. It's just like any other voice in your head. And the more loudly it speaks, the more nested in anxiety it is. And therefore, the less 
intuitive it actually is. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of fucking posts on the internet about like intuition versus anxiety that pseudo spiritual people are spouting out now, but that is one thing that pseudo spiritualists spout that is actually true. Because the observer self, the witness self, the self that exists deep within and underneath all of that chatter and noise inside the mind is very quiet. And if you tap into it, it always has something positive to say, if anything at all. And it always kind of just knows. And that is the intuition. Um, The ways in which you gaslight yourself um, come from a long history of feeling like you don't belong somewhere and feeling like you're never going to belong anywhere but if you are on the spectrum if you are newly diagnosed newly self-diagnosed or you suspect that you're on the spectrum follow your intuition and know that deep down inside you know you you know who you are and you are wonderful and you belong here with the rest of us silly wonderful crazy joyful unique quirky neurodivergent folk so that's it for this episode thanks so much for listening i look forward to revisiting this topic in another podcast and we will probably go down the road of what it's like to experience your diagnosis and all of the grief and rage and sadness that follows. It's not going to be obviously like a very pleasant topic, but it's very important to to cover in my opinion because it's a very important part of the journey. It's an undeniable part of the journey. It's just going to happen. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that this has been helpful in some way. And I will see you again sometime soon.